Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas here. Today we have another incredible guest joining us, another author, pastor, minister, Jerry Burton. And he is joining us from New Mexico today. Jerry, how are you today? Such a pleasure to have you. Doing wonderful. Thank you, Dallas. And it's good to be here. Thank you for having me on. And uh, hello to all of all of your listeners. Thank you. Today, we're going to be discussing a little bit about your book, Get a Grip on the Bible, a study guide, Genesis through Ruth. And from my understanding, this is one of several books that you're going to be doing in this series. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, the second one is is going to be the entire Old Testament but it won't really repeat what I've done in the first volume. First volume that we're going to talk about today is about a methodology for reading the Bible mm-hmm. and having it make sense. It's not yeah. interpretation of scripture for the person. It's, it's storyizing, which I'll explain later. Second volume I'll explain near the end. Third volume will be uh, uh, the New Testament. So wow. I still have quite a bit of work to do before me. Yeah. I need to live I, about I like 20 this. more years. <laughs> 20 more years. That's all you need, right? That's right. God, give me 20 Get more grip. years. I really like this. Get a grip on the Bible. I think that's something that we need to remember. Like, hey, man, wake up. Get a grip. I God put that in my mind. Bible. He put it in my mind. I have a, I have a wonderful men's group. I have several, several uh, study groups. And uh, this particular men's group inspired Get a Grip. Um, they... Uh, were not reading the Bible. They were somewhat new Christians. And um, so I had decided we'd go through the Bible uh, together and I would uh, shepherd them as best I could. But they weren't reading the scripture. And finally, one night uh, at the meeting, I said, why are you guys reading the uh, your Bible? You all have Bibles. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have time, uh, Pastor. <laughs> That's the well, big they, one. Right? They, yeah, they, 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 they pick. They, uh, I said, here's what you do. You pick it up. Mm-hmm. They said, yeah. <clears throat> you say, wow, this is awful heavy. You open it up and you say, <clears throat> this, the, the, the print's only about that big. It's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. hard to read. And, and when I start reading it, I can't get very far because it's like it's written in a foreign language, mm-hmm. which it is. And I'll explain that later. So I thought, okay, they need here. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> they, they, uh, you know, they, they've got to get into the word. And, and, and my passion is to get every person that owns a Bible into it, reading it and being excited about it. 
And that's it. So, that's it. Being excited to read the Bible. I know I remember seasons where I've been excited and seasons where I've not been excited. And I always like the seasons where I'm excited better. And so if I can yes, stay in that yes. place, come on, Jerry, mm-hmm. give us some some good stuff today. So just to introduce you a little bit deeper for our audience. So you have your PhD in church administration. You are a retired Air Force. Um, you've been in the Air Force as a colonel as well, a retired Air mm-hmm. Force. Mm-hmm. And you have an expertise in science, religion, business, education. And the list goes on. So you have a lot to offer for us today. And so before we talk specifically about the book, I just want to give you the opportunity. Tell us your faith journey. How did you become a Christian? How did you meet the Lord? And how did that change your life moving forward? In one word, it was by immersion. Because mm-hmm. my family, excuse me, my family um, really was was very conscious of, of having uh, Christ at the center of our home. We didn't always do a great job of it. Uh, I don't think anybody really does if they're honest, but the standard was there. Um, We attended church regularly like everybody else, church camp, Sunday school, uh, a lot of family discussions. We'd take road trips, and of course, we didn't have radio or, well, we had radio, but we didn't have TV and that type stuff to to, uh, distract us, so... uh, Mom uh, had a radio program of her own in New Mexico. In that program, she told stories, uh, Bible stories, fairy tales. It was for kids. And um, she would practice on me. So she would go through the stories with me. I learned the Bible stories uh, that way. And and get a grip, one of the things that that I'll I'll tell you right now about inside the book is that that, – the way you read a story should be the way my mom says to read it. You read it through for entertainment. You generally follow the main character, but there's something called context. Context, we don't tend to get when we read the Bible. So mom told me, read, read the story, read Huckleberry Finn. And then when you've read it, pick it up again after you've thought about it a little bit and focus on a different character in that same story. Pick one of the stories out there, be another character, read it again as that character, and then read it a third time as another character. You begin to get a whole different context. So if you read the story of Abraham, for example, and you make yourself Abraham at first because he's the main character, then you make yourself Sarah, and then you make yourself um Hagar mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth. Now all of a sudden you've got that story from a bunch of different views. And that's context. Wow. Now, Which is so cool because that's what God gave us for the, the gospels, right? The Luke Absolutely. We just the don't read them right. Wow, yeah. That's See, amazing. so that's so that's what I'm about wow. is is reading, putting it in context, getting everything out of it you can. How God takes that any particular scripture and interprets it to you, that's between you and God. But the first thing you've got to do is embody it. You embody it by going through it and remembering the story, not memorizing, but remembering the story because it has become a part of you. If the Bible were a part of you, then then you're going to have daily conversations with God that don't cease. 
I think that's incredible. That's a great way. I've never heard anyone talk like that about reading the Bible in that way, putting yourself in the shoes of the person, but it makes so much sense. We do it in, in other books. Why don't we do it for the Bible? Right. So it right. makes so much right. sense. Wow. Well, yeah. And one of the things uh, too, that, that causes us to do that is we, we don't take the, the characters in the Bible as real. We say totally character, in our mind, character, which we, normally means right. created, right? Yeah. Right. And and um, so one of the things that I have done in Get a Grip, uh, Volume 1, and I will do more of in Volume 2 and 3, but um, I, I relate the issues of the day in the Bible to issues in the world that coincided. And the culture and it's mostly culture in group one, but, um, you know, what was the culture about? How, how did they live day to day? They were not uh, just a bunch of guys standing out in the field in their bathrobes with a staff looking at sheep. Uh, that was not their culture at all. And again, I'll, as we get down here to some of your other questions, I'll mm -hmm. explain that in, in greater detail. Yeah. And I want to jump right into those because you do have so many topics to discuss. One, for example, God describes himself and redemption in the Old Testament. And so let's talk a little bit about how God describes himself through your writing there. Okay. God, God uh, manifests himself in many, many things, but there's one place where he actually describes who he is. And that is to Moses. Uh, and I, I like the, the scripture, uh, for two different reasons, really, it's in Exodus 34. Um, the first set of Ten Commandments was broken. He threw them down in anger. So now God has told him, okay, make two more tablets, bring them up to me, and I will inscribe my law on them again to replace the tablets that you broke. And I kind of like that because it's kind of a dig there, which is almost humanizing that, that God's saying, you broke them, you bring them up again, and I'll, I'll fix the ones that you broke. Uh, I've seen a cute cartoon of that, uh, in fact. And uh, so when, uh, when God appears to Moses that time, Moses is up there with the tablets, and then God comes down in a cloud which seems to be his nature in that part of the Old Testament. And then he appears out of the cloud and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Jesus then ultimately bears, of course, all that punishment himself. But, uh, but God has, has just described himself in his own words. And, uh, and I love that because there's no place else that he, he makes it that clear. You have another so, one here that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, please, Jerry. Um, okay, let's see. The other part of that question was, was, um, the redemption of the redemption, the Old yes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and the, and the redemption, uh, again, um, uh, is symbolized a lot in the Old Testament, uh, particularly through the, through the sacrifices. Did I lose you? No, nope. 
okay, okay, sorry. I, I put my hand down and, and hit a button. But, um, but basically, redemption is, is all, all over the New Testament, um, usually in the sacrifices, but also in many of the other scriptures, most of the other scriptures, because man is constantly failing God. Uh, we were redeemed, in a sense, by Noah. But it was only in the earthly sense. God wiped everybody else out. But Noah then picked it up and redeemed, quote, man time, mankind, because now he's paying the price of living in this world of sin um, for all of us. And, uh, and it's kind of a, a restart. God redeemed Adam and Eve after they had sinned because he took care of them. And, and one of the things that I teach uh, as a, a major premise of your relationship with God is that the, the ultimate um, agreement that we have with God, he gave. And he said, I am God and I will love you. He doesn't say if. He's got conditions, but he doesn't say if. He says, I will love you, period. I'll love you. And I will take care of you. So two things. I'll love you. I'll take care of you. And then he says what I want back because you have a free will. I want you to freely love me and be obedient to what I ask. And that was it. And that really sums it all up. Sums up the Ten Commandments. Sums up all the law. Um, he's God. And he is love. Yeah. And he will take care of us. And I rest on that every single day of my life. You'll take care of me. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a deeper understanding of education and how to help your children navigate through today's world? Look no further than Elementary School, the podcast that answers your questions through interviews with professionals, educators, and parents. Host Melanie Whipple shares her passion for education and inspires listeners to strengthen our children and build a better society. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Elementary Schooled on your favorite podcast app. Are you tired of feeling stuck in old patterns and ready to break free? In Understanding the Jesus Code, Caroline Bergers shares nine surprising keys to help you live a promised life of health and happiness. Learn how to overcome anxiety, depression, and generational wounds. Don't wait any longer to start your journey to a new life in Jesus Christ. Find your copy of Understanding the Jesus Code on Amazon today. What would you say in our practical terms today is the biggest deterrent from that, from being obedient? Well, flesh, uh, as the over overarching cause is our flesh. As Paul said, uh, you know, I do what I don't want to do and I don't mm -hmm. do what I should do, but it's the flesh that causes me to continue to sin. So our flesh, well, our fleshly desires are for money, for good things, for good times, for, for good food, uh, everything being happy. And one of the things that, that I think hurts uh, and it comes back to ministers uh, as well as not reading the word for yourself uh, like people ought to do. Um, God, God puts us in, in tribulation so that we can grow. 
particularly yeah. if we already know God. It's for growth. It's for refinement. It's for strength. And um, we don't look at it that way. We, we would rather, you know, we, I mean, how many times do people go to prayer and say, oh, God, I want this. I want that. I, I need this. I need that. I really need. Mm-hmm. How about, God, I am humble before you. How about praying, lying down? And I ask my men to do this. And they've all done it. <clears throat> they lie prostrate on the floor and pray. Pray to God with your face on the carpet and, and acknowledge God's greatness. Put it in perspective. Now, when you go to God, remember, you're not just asking God to do something. It's a partnership. Prayer mm-hmm. is a partnership. When you ask God for something or to do something, you are part of it. And you are as responsible for it as he is. Um, prayer is a whole different. You get me off on yeah. prayer and I've talked <laughs> another three hours uh, mm-hmm. of what, what real prayer is. And it's... Uh, it's talking to God and listening all day long. Yeah. I really like your approach on that. It's a partnership. <clears throat> it's not just, it's not a yes. monologue. You have to no. also listen to the Lord speak as well. And mm-hmm. I, the call to prayer, that's such a good reminder as well. Such a good reminder. We all should pray more. And like you say, with our face on the ground, humbling ourselves before the Lord, not coming when you need something. It's not a magic lamp. You know, it's not. A genie, right. God is not a genie. And so many times we use it right. in that way. I think I think you're absolutely right. One more thing I'd like to say about prayer, because I think it's critical. Um, you can say anything to God hmm. because God, God's big. He's, yeah. he's got big shoulders. And I have yelled at God. Hmm. I have screamed at God. I have I've gone out in the barn and said, God, why this situation? Hmm. Why? Um and um, he usually tells me, you'll find out later. <laughs> yeah. Be patient and trust me. And, and, uh, and then sometimes it's two years before I'll get an answer. Wow. And then he takes a baseball bat and hits me in the side of the head and yeah. said, I've been telling you, <laughs> I've been telling you for the last yeah. year, you just haven't been listening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, prayer, prayer wow. is key to a, a, a deep, and productive walk with Christ. If we don't do it, we are just putting down the best weapon that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Something that we can we always carry with us, right? Oh, we don't absolutely. always have the Bible with us, but we always have prayer. Absolutely. No and we right. And the Spirit of Christ is in us and and He's yeah. communicating to us constantly yeah. if we just listen. Yeah. Another amazing topic here I really want to dive into angels among us. This is so incredible because this is something that we, it's almost like we don't talk about it enough, but it's something that we should talk about enough to understand. And so if you could just give us some perspective on that, Jerry, angels among us. You know, I, um, I saw that and, and I thought, what am I going to say there? Because I have a lot to say about everything. And, but angels. Fear not. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of angels, but. Fear not. Right. Fear not. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, I have, again, from my mom, uh, I was not afraid to believe in angels. I wasn't afraid to believe in anything because she made it normal. Um, and I wish all house schools would, would do that. Uh, God is more normal than us. We need to. And when you say angels are normal, what do you mean by that? Angels are, are 
part of God's realm that he shares with us. And, you know, I like to think of, of you know, when, when God created earth, heaven and earth were one. That's where we're headed if we do it right. So if you have the starting point and the ending point for the journey, you can make the journey. It's not always a straight line, but you know where you're going. And what God wants is to be able to hold in his hands heaven and earth at the same time. When man sinned, then heaven lifted. And and so did the Garden of Eden, and man got thrown out of it. So now he's isolated. But there is still that spiritual realm around us. Uh, and a good example of that is Elisha. When, his, when uh, the king was trying to kill him, he sends an army to surround the town, little town that he's in. And, and uh, the servant goes out to get water and he comes back in. Oh, master, master, Elisha, we're in big trouble, big trouble. And Elisha says, well, what? Takes him out and he says, look, see, see all, all these armed men. And sure enough, there was the army of the king. And Elisha looks at his servant and says, yeah, not a problem. You know, well, what, what's the matter with you, Elisha? You don't see these? And, and says, Elisha says, God, uh, open his eyes so that he can see all the hell, heavenly realm around him. And, and uh, he said, we outnumber them all. And we do okay. because of the heavenly realm. I, mm -hmm. have a, I have a mountain outside my, um, well, in my view. It's, uh, I can see it from my backyard. Um, it has uh, radio antennas on top of it. Um, they're real small because it's a tall mountain. But uh, quite often I'll go out in the morning to tend the animals. And I'll look up there and I'll think about Elisha and his servant. And in my mind, I can see the army of God up on that ridge, you know, and it, it just it just personalizes it. But no, angels, angels are here to help us. They're they're also here um, uh, as messengers. They were messengers to Abram about Sarah and um, protectors. Uh, uh, Exodus 23 says, you know, I'll send angels uh, ahead of you. Uh, to to protect you, uh, angels strengthen and comfort, and uh, angels carry out God's judgment, like He did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I uh, admired a certain evangelist uh, decades ago who um, encouraged seeking uh, healing from God, but also he encouraged you as an individual to have a touch point with God and ask God for it and ask it for your children. And I did that. I prayed, I prayed for all of my, my children. I have six children. I prayed for, for each one of them when they were born, that God would give them a, a touch point of reality between them and God. Angels played a big role in that for, for, uh, four out of my six kids. Because uh, angels intervened for them where nobody else could. And uh, they're present. Um, we don't pray to them. God sends them as servants to us to, to serve us as we need and he sees fit. Yeah. What would you say about fallen angels? That one I would like to have more time to, to discuss because that's complex. 
Mm-hmm. It gets complex. The uh, Bible talks about fallen angels. And there are there's a set of scriptures that that supports um, the rebellion of angels uh, as a, a um, physical, spiritual, real thing. And then there are some scriptures in um, a couple of the prophets that are using that um, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. So they're not talking about angels per se, but they're talking about the administration that angels have being done by men. And that, like I said, I'm going to defer that one, but sometime. If you want. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll touch back on that one one day. Yeah. We'll come back on the show. How about you were, you mentioned this earlier, that angels are a part of God's judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so let's talk a little bit about this, the significance of the moral lessons we can learn. I think this is so so relatable today because i mean look at our world i mean it is dark go to las vegas i've never been but i've heard some horrible stories you know like i think we're definitely if not close i mean we are close to that and so what can we learn from that story and how can we apply some biblical truth to that and and overcome i guess i like i like uh, that question and uh, and i'm jumping at the bit to answer it and here we go uh, because it involves science mm-hmm. on my part, because I, I'm published in science. I've done uh, geology work. I've worked with the Smithsonian on a couple of things. And 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 I, I just love science. I love scientific method, which we'll get into later also. But uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah is only one of several um, citations that involve nature and nature being involved in judgment. The flood, Mm -hmm. was that not judgment? It was. Was that not harsh? It was. Think of how you feel when you walk out and you see a big dark cloud in the sky and the wind picks up and the wind is cold because it's a little gust and you know, oh, we're going to get hail and thunder and lightning and you get a little bit excited, but you also get a little bit afraid. And if you're flying like I did for decades uh you see those and and you get more than a little bit afraid you start taking actions to avoid it but the weather natural phenomena whether it's weather or or earthquakes or whatever natural phenomena are beyond us that's why people uh ancient people made gods of various aspects of nature because they knew they couldn't control nature any more than we control weather um it it Nature is God's creation for God's glory and our enjoyment, but the power it represents. When God chooses to pick nature to make a point, it's something big. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, of course, when he when he passed uh, by, it was a small, still voice, but the flood was big because the the uh, degradation of morality was so deep god said okay i can come down there personally or i think i'll just do this through nature you're going to get more water than you can ever handle mm-hmm. uh, the um, oh let's see here uh, a wild sea 
the sea. Uh, uh, Jesus, when he walked on the sea and it calmed, you know, the 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 disciples were afraid of the sea. Uh, when we see a tornado or we get a tornado warning or a hurricane, you know, we get afraid because we can't control it. Yeah. This morning I saw on the news that fire, wildfire in Maui that was happening. Oh, yeah. The last couple of days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they've got the same thing in Canada right now. Canada is just on fire and they can't stop it. So, you know, nature, nature mm -hmm. speaks beauty and, and serenity, but man, when God makes it hostile, we realize we're, we're pretty small and we're pretty insignificant. And God has given us nature, which is so much bigger than us. And God is so much bigger than nature. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a situation where if I were sitting down and one of my children came to me and started talking disrespectfully, I might sit for a little bit, but pretty quickly I would stand up. And I would make a bigger presence. And that, to me, is what God is doing. He's saying, okay, I've been patient. I've been patient. but And, and I'm not going to strike you dead right now. But, but I'm sure going to scare you into obedience if I have to. And yeah. show you that I am God and you are not. And it is interesting. Like, I mean, the pandemic. That's the nasty word yeah. nobody wants to talk about. But I mean, if you can look at that global reset where it called us into, I mean, a lot of people were called to, to the Lord in that time. And a lot of people walked Absolutely. away from the Lord. But I, th I yeah. feel like God used that, whether I don't, I'm not going to get into all of that, but I think God definitely used that to bring people to him. And so what right. else can you say about that, Jerry? Uh, about the pandemic or just about God in nature? Just, just about uh, God in nature. Anything else that you can, well, you the, can say? The Sodom, the Sodom and Gomorrah thing specifically, I think the Rift Valley kind of caught your eye on that. You know what a Rift Valley is, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, um, I, I added that uh, in there so we could discuss that a little bit. Yes. Yeah, a Rift Valley, for those who, who may not know, you know, the Earth's, uh, Earth is, is a, a ball of matter that has several layers. And the outer layer is the crust. And when that crust breaks, which it does fairly often, um, magma or hot lava will come up through that, um, through that break. And there's usually a displacement laterally, like the San Andreas Fault in California. Uh, if you walk along that, you'll come across a road on one side and not on the other. You walk a little farther there's the other half of the road because those rocks have moved. And so it's, it's a powerful, powerful area in terms of change. I live on a, a rift, the Rio Grande rift. Uh, and, and we have earthquakes every day, every day. We don't feel them because there's so much, trash material that has fallen in sand rocks and and it absorbs but if you go down to the new mexico museum of natural history they have a seismograph that you can see and and it's 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 just moving all the time by little vibrations and and shaking along this fault line uh, california you go and and you know right now they've got cliffs falling down in some areas because of movement along that fault that fault goes all the way around the Pacific. So what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah built right on top of that, that fault line. 
And that was very convenient. God said, oh, this, this one's going to be easy because I'll just move, move that fault line a little bit and that lava's going to come up and there's going to be fire and brimstone falling from heaven all over Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. And the other interesting thing about that story, which I, I, I had never thought about actually until today, was that Lot's wife was told not to turn around and look back. Mm-hmm. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. Well, that rift where Sodom and Gomorrah were uh, is under the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is salt water. Mm-hmm. And they have salt columns all over that area. So the fact that she then would turn into a column of salt, that's kind of like uh, uh, that's crazy. from, from wow. uh, dirt yeah, from dirt we were made into dirt we're going to return. But uh, so, you know, scientifically, I, I look at these things and and I see God in these events and in these circumstances where I say, man, only God could have thought of that. And and uh, Incredible. it's yeah, it, it it's it's amazing. Have we I mean, I don't want to get too crazy into this, but have you would you say there's any other recent events where God has used nature as a sign? Of some sort. I've never, never asked any of that question, but I'm just curious, Jerry, you seem to have so much knowledge in this area. So, well, I, I think that, um, uh, I like, again, I, I like, I like all questions really, but, but this one I like because I've, I've been doing a lot of research. I do about, um, in a normal week, I'll, I'll do anywhere from eight to 10 hours just of research. And, uh, uh, I, when you look at the fear of people um, over the sea levels rising, the ice melting, oh, we've got global warming. Yeah, well, we had global cooling before that. It's called an ice age. And the ice sits on top of the surface of the ground, and, and the, the, it's, it's like a sponge. You put ice on it, it's going to sink. So the the level of the terrain sinks. In fact, science has a method of um, an average base elevation, and they do all of the mapping now from that base elevation because of the satellites. And I won't get into the science of that. But but basically, we are at the end of the last ice age. And that is the receding. Uh, the last ice age um, started with with no ice at the North Pole. It was all water. Greenland was green. Uh, but basically then as it got colder because of sun and the other elements that God only knows about uh, affecting it, it started to get cold up there. And next thing you know, you had ice coming down and it takes water to have ice. So the sea levels went down and the uh, some of that was dampered or dampened by the uh, ice on the the uh, land, causing the land to go down. So it didn't appear to be such a drastic uh, mm-hmm. depression of of uh, Earth. But um, now what we're experiencing is that ice has been receding for thousand years, uh, roughly, and and so the the Earth. Um, is starting to rise up, but it has has come about to the end of its elasticity. 
So the ground is as high as it's going to get, let's say, in the United States. It's still it's still rising, actually, uh, in the northern part up toward the North Pole. But the meltwater is coming down, um, and that causes the sea levels to start rising. Um, I heard somebody and- say, Jerry, I think I watched a documentary that said that Global warming has a lot to do with the flood of Noah, that the earth is still recovering from the flood. Would you say that that's some, somewhat accurate? Or that That is, um, I would say there is a relationship there. I won't, I won't go deeper than that because I'm still, I've, I've got, I've got a stack about an inch thick of, <laughs> uh, of papers that I've yeah. that I've read on that and I'm trying to figure out for my my next volume where the where Noah's flood comes in um, because that comes into to play and you can almost almost pinpoint it on um, from a geological point of view hmm. I'll let you have a little more research on that one then <laughs> yeah good. yeah Sounds good. You have so much to bring for us today. This is so encouraging. And so whenever you wrote this, get a grip, what would you, what was your purpose? What did you want your audience and your listeners to receive and the man that you're working with as well when they picked up this get a grip on the Bible? The main thing, um, it's hard to say main thing because I had, I had several, several points, several objectives. First objective was just to get them to realize that they're not reading a fairy tale. They're not reading um, stuff that isn't that important. They're reading real history about a real God with real power, uh, with real love, uh, and with real punishment. And to make that real, what um, uh, I found was uh, an article on Ebla, uh, the Ebla tablets. Are you familiar at all with Ebla tablets? I'm not. Mm -mm. The Ebla tablets were, Ebla is in Syria or was in Syria, it no longer exists, but um, it was, um, I think, just north of Damascus. Ebla was a major city, um, had, a, had a city palace and everything, and in this palace, they had, they had um, a library, and it would be like one of our government libraries, where you can go in and say, I want to look at the records of, of uh, marriages, or I want to look at the record of land ownership, or these corporations that existed, who who's doing business with whom, um, and that was the type of information that was being kept in the Ebla tablets. They date back the ones that survived. They date back to twenty five hundred B.C. Hmm. Now, to put that in perspective with the Bible, Abraham was born in twenty one sixty six. BC. We'll round it up and we'll say 2200. The Ebla tablets had sophisticated data, including atlases with maps. And you're talking about clay tablets, but you know, my, my wife likes to work with clay. And when you fire it, it becomes ceramic when you when you put the right stuff on it. It becomes ceramic. So it it survives. And these Ebla tablets were on wooden shelves. They were cataloged in the same manner that we use to catalog books in today's libraries. Oh, they were I'm looking doing at pictures every- now because I'm a visual learner and I got to see what you're yeah. talking about. And it's insane. Yeah. They, they, yeah they, they've wow. got 1800 complete tablets and they're complete. God, 
God worked that out so beautifully because uh, Ebla had been uh, under attack several times. It, it was a very, very important center of commerce. And, and if, you've, uh, if you follow commerce through the Bible, you'll see that empires, including David's, including David's uh, and Solomon's, were built along commercial control and who was in power where. And I deal with that some in this first book so that you can see that, oh, uh, Solomon, Solomon had a lot of knowledge. Solomon wasn't actually a very good king, but Solomon and David came along at the right time. And, and uh, it was because of the commerce. Um, so anyway, back to, back to Ebla, uh, the, the enemy came down uh, from the area of Turkey and, and uh, decided that they just wanted to totally destroy Ebla and they burn it to the ground. They burned everything. And when you burn, when you burn things to the ground, what happens is uh, the, the walls like in Jerusalem that, that, that uh, Nehemiah was trying to rebuild, uh, they had been burned. And and uh, had had uh, Sanballat that is had had said, oh, you'll never rebuild it because it's been burned. Burning destroys the mortar. So now all of a sudden, not only do you have to sort out rocks and try to refit them, you have to to make mortar. So it complicates the job. So they the uh, the enemy had had come down and they burned um, uh, Ebla to the ground. Well, the palace had these wooden stands for the tablets. They also, by the way, had a school for for uh, training people to write uh, on tablets because they had some of the tablets that were preserved were training tablets. So they didn't fire those. They'd write them on the tablets and then they would, would uh, erase them. And they've got erasure marks by hand or cloth or something, you know, to... to blanket again, and then they would try to rewrite again. So it was a scribe training center for the government uh, of Ebla. So they burn Ebla. Uh, the wooden frames burned very quickly and dropped, just fell. And the tablets that were stacked up on shelves, vertical shelves, well, horizontal shelves in a vertical fashion, they fell down on each other. But because they had already been fired, they, they were resistant, and, and most of them didn't break in this one area. They just fell down on ashes, on ashes, on ashes, and they had a padding, and then the ashes covered them up, which preserved them, and 1,800 of these things were found completely How incredible. in perfect condition. And what it shows is that they their economy and their society was absolutely as sophisticated as ours is today without the technology. Take away the technology we have today, we'd be like Ebla. So these were real people. And that, that was one of the things that I used with my men to make them see, hey, you know, these, these weren't a bunch of dummies. These weren't people who weren't fully developed mentally or physically. These, these were prime people of God, God's making, and um, just like us. 
So if if we've you know God's given us those tablets so that we do a, a reality check and say you know we're not so good we're not so different we're you know we're just like those people. It and is easy God, to think that we're so superior and so better because we have technology and electricity and and all of these things, right? But oh uh, yeah, we're still well, they human. Even, they, we still they have flesh, had, you know. Sure, they had swamp wow. coolers. They had swamp coolers yeah. back in those days. So, and we still use that in New Mexico. A few people wow. do, but um, How crazy. yeah. So anyway, it's, it's creating a real context for the scripture. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my first passion with these guys. I want you to understand that this isn't fairy tale stuff. This is real. And here are people who were living in that time. And here is proof in writing of how sophisticated they were. They had high math. They had they had uh, complex language. They they just the trade. They were trading twenty five hundred BC. They were trading clear over into what is now Britain. Okay, we think of life being just yeah. compartmentalized there in the in the Middle East. No, they they were getting materials from China, from mm-hmm. China that made their way over to to Great Britain. Um, in um, oh, let's see here. Right after, um, pretty much after, a little bit after Abraham, um, there were there were the um, uh, Trojan Wars. You heard of the Trojan Horse with, with yep. Greece? Mm-hmm. So that that happened uh, uh, while Israel was was still a nation. Uh, the first time <laughs> and you know so uh, again i'm kind of getting into volume two now because i get real specific in volume two but i shared some of these things with guys uh and in volume one so that people would understand you're talking real history here mm-hmm. i hear so much junk from people that which say, gives oh, it that no. much more credibility too right absolutely absolutely see so credible context and uh, I talk I talk about the the forms of the language, um, the the writing forms. You know, we've got poetry, we've got prose, we've got got uh, various writing forms. And and Hebrew Hebrew is a very contextual language. Um, have you taken Hebrew before? I haven't. I haven't. Okay, Hebrew Hebrew um, is um, difficult in that. Um, doesn't have that many words like Greek. Greek is difficult because it's, it's got a specific word for or everything. And uh, so it's easy to use the wrong word in, in Hebrew. It's easy to interpret the wrong word because you have to read 30 words around that word, understand what that word means. It is Mm -hmm. contextual. The whole old Testament is contextual and we don't get much of that. Uh, we don't get, well, there is a cultural Bible that you can get that Zondervan prints that, that, and that is, is, uh, one of my about 200 sources, but, but, uh, an archeological Bible and a chronological Bible, and they bring some of this stuff to, to reality. But again, it's about, it's about making it real. So the Ebla tablets, um, talking about the language and, and, uh, 
the difficulty. It reads like a different language because in the interpretation, it was a different language and it was a direct translation. So the translations were uh, true, of course, but they're, they're a little difficult because in some cases they're not as clear as they could be or as impactful. Yeah. I'll give well, you an example, if you, if you want, from Hosea. Hosea was a prophet that was told to marry a prostitute. And, and uh, I think there are, there are like, like uh, 14 chapters, 15 chapters, something like that. And the first three or four chapters, first three chapters, it's all about Hosea and, and his wife, the prostitute, and she's untrue. And, and, and next thing you know, she's, she is owned by a sex slave, slaver, and uh, becomes a sex slave. And he has to go redeem her. And generally, that's where our preaching stops. And and I like to preach the things that aren't preached and, and go get those other I scriptures. I bet you do, Jerry. <laughs> oh, oh, I do. I love to be oh. different and, and, and bring out these things that fill it out and give context. But there is a point where <clears throat> from, from the fourth chapter on, or the next 11 chapters, what you're reading is <clears throat> certainly about Hosea's grief. And, and how he felt, but it's really God grieving. And when I figured that out, he's not talking about Hosea. He's talking about himself grieving over how unfaithful we have been. Yeah. And he illustrates it. You know, most of the Old Testament says, oh, you have these idols. Oh, you erect these monuments. Oh, you do this. Oh, you do that. <clears throat> but in Hosea, it says, from the Hebrew, because I, I go to the Hebrew and I say, okay, in Hebrew, how is this put? What, what God actually says in, in Hosea is, he says, you make with your hands this wooden thing. And you hold it in your hands. You look at it and you say, you are my God. That's a whole lot more powerful than saying, oh, you have idols over here that you worship. Mm -hmm. No, this is this is illustrating a very personal uh, type of worship of something that you made. It isn't anywhere near being a god, and you're choosing that wooden idol over the living God. Yeah. So yeah. that's that is where language. You know, if we really understood Hebrew and could read the original Hebrew, like a lot of scholars do, um, and I'm not one, I have to, to um, I, my Hebrew is pretty far back, <laughs> but, but I, I know how to use it. And, and uh, so that's, that's what I did with these guys. And when they realized that we were talking about real people, it made a big difference in the, difference in their walk. People yeah. have to have the reality that God is real. Scripture is real. And it does apply to us just like Jerry, thank you so much for everything that you shared today. We, I have so many questions that we didn't ask today. We didn't discuss. I have a large list of questions for you. However, I do believe you have edition volume two and volume three coming out. So I want to invite you, please come back to the show. I want to discuss this a little bit deeper with you as those come out. Jerry, tell uh, us, where love... can we find this first volume? <clears throat> uh, just about any place online. If you, if you were to um, Google, get a grip on the Bible. Uh, it would come up at Amazon and, uh, and other bookstores and online bookstores. Uh, Amazon is usually the, the biggest source. 
if you go to my website, let me give you my website because that's easy yes, to get please. to and, and you can always see the books and what I'm doing there. The website is J-E-R-R-Y-L-B-U-R-T-O-N, no spaces in there, dot com. So jerryalberton.com. And that'll come up with uh, uh, who I am, why I am, <laughs> what I do, uh, all of those things. So, yeah. um, I, and I appreciate so much you you asking me to be on your show. Uh, it's exciting for me, and it's it's always exciting for me to talk scripture and God and and uh, faith. It's my pleasure, Jerry. Can you tell us one more time when is edition two coming out? When are you going to re be releasing volume two? I am I am targeting uh, before this Christmas. I have a lot of work to do to make that happen. Uh, and God willing, of course, it will happen. But um, um, that's that's my plan. It, it may not be the right plan, but it uh, certainly should be somewhere around the end of the year. Sounds great. So be on the lookout. Your links are Absolutely. Be, Jerry, for our audience to check you out, to find the book, to buy the book, find your website and all of those things and get, and get connected with you and look out for the second edition coming out soon. So thank you so much for your time today. God bless you, Jerry. And if I can have you end our time together with a prayer, that would be excellent. Absolutely. Be my pleasure. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your promise to care for us. God, may you help us to be obedient and to love you back. Uh, help us to trust you in all things. God, I, I pray especially today for Dallas um, and his his ministry um, and, and for all the people who are out in the field uh, spreading your word and helping people to learn to live and believe that the, uh, the word that uh, you have given us. Give them strength Guide them by your Holy Spirit. Be real to them in every way, Father. Thank you. We love you. God, may all these listeners be blessed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher, Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.